Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. We recently put on a conference at High Point Church called Sexuality Everywhere. We were looking at the question, how can we glorify Jesus as sexual beings? This is the first Q&A session of the Sexuality Everywhere conference done by Adam Mabry and Nick Gibson after Adam gave his first session. So they fielded various different questions from the audience that we think will be helpful for you as you're sorting through these things. Thanks for listening. see questions coming in keep bringing them in and, and voting on them and um we'll work on it here um adam one of the things that we talk about a little bit at high point is that you said before that the if you're not in the right story the story doesn't make any sense you said to the kids earlier yeah. it's like um asking what harry potter would do with a lightsaber yeah and that just the stories don't come together and one of the things i think is is difficult for people is we don't say we believe in the cultural story. We actually just absorb it. Yeah. And so then instead of giving up our faith, we don't say, oh, I don't believe that anymore. We just feel it kind of draining out of us. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Like the fact that it's, it doesn't feel conscious. Yeah. But somehow you have to make it conscious by turning to the truth. Does that, is that yeah. So I think one of the things that we have to just wake up to is that um, we're changed by the stories that we watch. So um, by show of hands, how many of you have Netflix and Amazon Prime? Okay. So, and, and by show of hands, how many of you like to watch a good Netflix show, right? You might even be addicted to a great British baking show. That's me. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I don't bake anything, but whatever. Um, listen, everything that you absorb music, television, social media feeds, it, it's speaking to you a story. It, it just, it, it, you absorb it. And until, you, like, step one is just knowing that. Which is why, like, faithfully reading your scriptures, faithfully coming to church, faithfully being in a small group, and faithfully doing Christian practice is extremely important. Because it's like, if you can imagine, you know, like, a low-pressure and a high-pressure system meteorologically, like, there's never a no-pressure system. Like, there's no such thing as a vacuum, right? One is pushing on the other constantly. And if all you are is pushed upon, and you're never like filling yourself back up with the Christian story or with the gospel story that God made us, that we are in fact fallen and marred by sin, that Jesus has come to renew us and we'll, we will inhabit a new world with them, that, that these realities aren't pushing back, then you will, without even knowing it, acquiesce to whatever your culture says and thinks and feels, which is how you end up agreeing with, as a Christian, these axioms of our culture, like live your truth, or you only live once, or, you know, you do you, or, you know, just let them be, they're not hurting anybody. These things all sound true, and they're obviously not true when you just look at the Bible, but the reason they sound true is because we've just absorbed their truthfulness in story form for years and years and years, which is why like faithful Christian practice is unimaginably important. Great. Okay. I didn't listen to any of that because I was working on cool, questions. Cool, yeah. So it's probably really good. I'm, I'm operating under the assumption that you believe part of what I'm saying. Yeah, totally. Um, I just didn't listen. Okay, so let's go. The first question, there's one question that has 65 votes and the closest next I think is 36. Sweet. So let's hit that one. So if, if our identity doesn't lay in our sexuality, how do you speak to those who believe that? Right? So, so right, you're, you're in Cambridge. You talk to a college student who mm. thinks that. How do you go about working with that? How do you, how do you work into that worldview? How do you? I, I just like to ask a lot of questions because I'm genuinely curious. Like? Uh, like, I'm, so I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm going to get there. Okay. Um, uh, 
so I'm not asking questions in order to trap them. I'm, I'm curious to how this, their minds are actually working. So one question I like to ask is like, well, what are all of the things that you're really passionately committed to? You know, and where I live, it's going to be, you know, equality, justice, you know, and, and all these things. And I'm going to list up a whole bunch of, you know, good sounding things. And then I like to ask, well, how do you order those in terms of like their most fundamental importance to you? And it ends up coming back as some kind of just, it's very arbitrary. And, and so, you know, I, I usually think, well, gosh, it seems to me like humans are a whole lot more than just their sexual desires. And I'll say, let me demonstrate to you what I mean. What if you got in a terrible accident and like all of a sudden every sexual part of your body was just no longer available for your use? That, that particular bundle of nerves, those organs, they're just gone. Are you no longer human? Um, you know, what about, what about people for whom that's the case? And so uh, like by just asking and dialoguing, it becomes pretty obvious like, oh, this maybe isn't the best interpretive grid for what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just by asking a lot of questions. Do you feel like just understanding what expressive individualism is yes. like a little bit will help prime you for that conversation? Yeah, absolutely. If you know what you're trying to deconstruct, yeah. then it'll help you talk. Yeah, and, and the nice thing about living in a cultural moment where everyone, like I can't walk out of my office without being stopped by some well-meaning 22-year-old with a clipboard telling me that if I give them 30 bucks a month, all the Africans will have water and no one, you know, all the women will have rights and all of the people will get to vote and whatever, you know, and they're, they're, they're fully committed to that view. The nice thing about living amongst people like that is you also get to tell them your view. And you you if also you have enough courage. Yeah, if you have courage, like you say, okay, cool. I just listen to you prattle on about your nonsense. Now it's your turn to listen to me. Um, you could be nicer than that. I don't know. I'll leave it to you. Um, uh, but I, I just, we're Midwestern. Sorry. Be totally polite. Offer them, what do you do, cheese and beer, and then they'll really like you. Um, so that's what you guys do around here. Curds. Um, curds, cheese curds. I had some of those today. Great invention. Please, please bring those to Boston. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I just like to ask a lot of questions. Okay. Um, I'm going to skip the is, is simple to masturbate just because we have a, one of the sessions tomorrow is extended and explicit, which explicitly talks about permissibility of different practices. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that there and or you can get the recording of that if you go to a different thing. So a couple of people asked about that, but um, because of our like wider thematic thing here, I'm going to mm. skip that right now. Okay. All right. So um, can you talk a little bit about lust and how it works within the story? Let's do this one here. Uh, oh, oh, down at the bottom. Uh, how... Uh, how does lust work within the story? Did God create it? Yeah, well, sure. Like, if um, if you are married and you find yourself longing for your spouse, and you're like, man, I just can't wait to get home and to be with my spouse, that's a good thing. Lust is the disordering or the turning of that thing. But like, sexual desire that like makes you want to go have sex is a is a created good. But here's the thing: we've come to a moment where like feelings are elevated to the level of facts. Listen to me. Feelings are not facts. They are feelings, which is why we have two different English words for those things. And, and you too, you too can English language anytime you want. Like, feelings are feelings. And uh, I mean, not, this is not even like a Christian or Jewish ethic. Like, even back to the ancient Greeks, the idea of ethics is that you are not ruled by your feelings. It's that so somehow, like, finding whatever the good is and, and grabbing onto your feelings and dragging them by the nape of their stupid neck sometimes and making them bow down to the good. Now, the difference with the Christian story is that we understand that sin makes that impossible and Jesus, by the Spirit, uh, makes us uh, able to live in a new way, obviously. But, but the important thing is this. Your feelings, your strong and most innate sexual attractions 
are not quintessentially you, and they're not what you are to be defined by. Some of them are good, some of them are not, which is why you need a story to interpret them, okay? And the, my, my uh, great proposition is that the Christian story is the best way not only to interpret them, but to be liberated to live in uh, the right way in relation to them. So is lust, can lust be good? Well, lust is only ever discussing a sin. So no, lust is always sin, but sexual desire for your spouse uh, is, is a wonderful thing. So let's look at this a little bit. How do you, if, if you love a friend who's committing sexual sin, um, how do you, like, you're, you know what they're doing is wrong, but you don't want to come across as judgmental. Um, can you give us the short version of, like, if that person's not a believer, like if they're on campus and the person— Oh, yeah. If they're not a Christian, then don't expect them to act like one. And don't be shocked when they don't. Right? So I you can am talk not... about wisdom and prudence. Like, is this going to lead where you want it to? Is this... Yeah, yeah. You can talk, like, why is living? Absolutely. And ask questions like, have you thought about where this is going to go? I'm your friend. Obviously, if you're truly their friend, they should know that you're a Christian. If you've hidden that from them, you are fearful or they're not really someone you should be friends with. Um, you, sh you can come to them yeah, with wisdom and say, is this going to lead you where you want to live. If they are a Christian, obviously, now that's a very different matter. You have to come to a brother or sister and say, what you're doing is wrong. I love you, but this is wrong. And if we're not willing to talk to one another that way, then we can't be disciples of Jesus because bound up with the word disciple is the word discipline, right? And we, so we've got to, most discipleship doesn't happen in like formal settings. It happens when my brother says, hey, the way you just said that, did you mean to say it that way? kind of felt this, can I, can I help you with that? Like, it, it happens as we brother or sister one another. And so we've got to be able to approach brothers and sisters and go, hey, listen, missionary dating, still wrong. Still wrong. Stop doing that. Or, hey, listen, um, uh, when, you know, like, that particular habit is, is, is wrong. It's, it's not going to lead you to Christ. You must stop, and I want to help you. That's not unloving. We've just come into a current cultural moment that says that if you disagree with anyone's sexual practice, you're the bigot. And you're not a bigot. Because, quite frankly, many non-Christians disagree with our sexual practices. Um, I hope that, is that helpful? I don't know. All right. Um, <laughs> um, so, you talked about how sexuality is bigger than sex. Yes. One of the things we advertise for the conference is that Jesus was a sexual being. Yes. Right? but presumably did not have sex, right? Yes. And then, so how does, like, how does that fit into the story? Like, how does Jesus, obviously his death and resurrection purchases a kind of, like, redemption for sexual yeah. sins, but how does Jesus as, like, the hero of sexuality or the embodiment of sexuality or the one who yeah. comes to reclaim, like, how does Jesus fit in that story? Well, yeah, uh, it really well. I mean, if you take what the scriptures say that Jesus experienced every temptation even as we do, yet without sin, if you take that really seriously and you start to think, well, gosh, what are all the ways I've been tempted sexually? Wow. Luck. Wow, yeah. And, and that he endured those temptations without sinning. So this tells us simultaneously two things. You can be fully human and never have sex. Everybody, you all all right? And then, so so here's, here's an even crazier thought. In 1 Corinthians 7, um, in 12 and 14, we learn about spiritual gifts, right? And so there's a big list and we all have a fight over those. Um, but back in 1 Corinthians 7, that's where the first two spiritual gifts are talked about. The spiritual gift of marriage and the spiritual gift of singleness. So the way you know you have them is if you are married or single. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 
You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. If I'm, you're in this room right now, you can't have a refund. You just got your. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah. And and here's the thing: they're equalized as good gifts. They're gifts. And so this is, this is really, really important that Jesus lived his life with the gift of the Father of singleness uh -huh. and sexual faithfulness. Empowered by the Spirit, he was fully human. It, look, if you don't believe he was fully human, then you are really up a creek because that means his death and resurrection mean nothing for you. Uh -huh. He can't represent you to the Father. Uh -huh. You don't want to pull that Jenga block out. That, that's a bad one. Yeah. And so, yes, he's fully, fully human in his um, sexual fidelity. And this is huge for Christian theology. That, yeah, I mean, yes, his death, burial, and resurrection, massively important. But so were his 33 years leading up to those things. So that's at least two ways yeah, why that's really important. I was reading St. Augustine's sermon on continence this morning. And one of the things he says in that is that the, if God has given you the gift of singleness or marriage— implicit in that is the grace that he gives you is the ability to do that vocation faithfully. Yes. So he has given you the ability to be sexually faithful in singleness. Yes. And he has given you the ability to be sexually faithful in marriage. That's fundamental to having that gift. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's critical for you to understand, those of you who are not yet married, that singleness is not some purgatorial waiting room for your destiny. You're like, well, I'll live for God as soon as I get my husband. Well, okay, that might be why you don't have one. Um, I love you. I love you. I'm just going to get on a plane tomorrow and let Nick clean this up. Um, <laughs> so you can email all of your complaints to nick at highpointchurch.org. That's my real address, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. Nick with a K. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay, so let's move on. Okay. All right. Um, th there's, a, there's a question that 47 upvotes that says, um, how do you uh, advise parenting, kids going to progressive schools, taught lies, and so on. Um, go to the session, uh, Raising Purity, tomorrow. Yeah. They're going to specifically focus on parenting in relationship to those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are some Christians trying to engage the people in our school system about being a little, a little less— I don't think I should— Crazy? Yeah. I, I don't, I yeah. didn't say that. Um, a little less forceful okay. and, and one-sided in how this is being dealt with. And yeah. so, um, yeah. I'll just throw in like Obviously, I am helping to lead the development of multiple Christian voucher schools in the Madison area. And that's a big part of why we're doing that. Um, but, but we will still, 80% of more of our Christian young people are going to be in the public school system. Yeah. And one of the ways, I know Don Carson said in Chicago, um, one of the best ways to have any say in this is tutor the heck out of the kids in the public school system in your city. Yeah. Because if this public school system cannot live without you, then they will listen to you. Yeah. And if you aren't, do not participate in what they're doing, then it really just feels like somebody who doesn't care about them at all is just complaining, and they won't listen. So I think, I think, I think the, the church can do good things in the public school system and get nothing for it. I think we should always do the right thing for the right reason. Mm -hmm. But I also think when you do the right thing for the right reason— there are always more good things that happen. That's how God works. Yeah. He always produces more good with good, right? Satan is the one that says, um, get rid of good so you can get what you want. Yes. God always works with good, producing good, producing more, producing more. Does that yeah. make sense? Okay. I think so. the one parenting tip I would just say is, like, guys, talk to your kids about sex, even though you don't want to. Just talk to them about it all the time. Like, uh, my, my daughter's here. Hi, Nora. She had to watch her dad talk about sex for an hour. She it's not even her. over yet. It's not even over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
We but, should talk about you and Hope. I'm just kidding. Yeah, we're uh, sorry. I'm not going to do that, honey. Um, uh, but like, just just beat beat the teachers to the punch. Like, be more open and honest, so that by the time they get this other story, they're like, oh, that's weird. And yeah, Doug Pettington, one of my mentors, said we always tried to stay one step ahead of what we could perceive that they might be hearing from friends or school or media or whatever. And yeah. that's always five steps ahead of what you wish. Yes. Right. Totally. So that's one of the reasons why I have a fishing. But once I get my kid on it, they can't get off, you know? Yeah. So, all right. Um, so I have duct tape. No. <laughs> can you talk a little about lust and how that works into the story? Did God Wait, didn't create we talk about it, that one? along with... Did we, are, we, yeah, we did that one. Did we do that one? We did. You right. really don't pay attention to the answers. I'm trying to do two things at once. Okay. Um... There's, there's one that got a bunch of upvotes. Um, how do we deal with unconscious sexual sin, i.e. sexual dreams? Like, oh, yeah. what about, there's a lot of ways in which yeah. we have sexual thoughts, experiences, even sure. dreams sure. that feel incredibly real, like we don't have a lot of control over them. Sure. How do you, what do we do? Yeah, um, well, the first isn't to feel shameful for them. It's, it makes no sense to feel shameful for the things that you do unconsciously. So uh, what the devil wants to do is, is accuse you for stuff especially that is not your fault. Um, so so d dispense as much as you can with a sense of shame. Um, and also understand that there is a layer to reality that you cannot see called the demonic, the supernatural, and, and realize that, that is, that's a thing, okay? Like, and, and therefore, prayer is massively important. Um, parents, praying over your children, um, praying over your home, letting the last thing and the first thing you do every morning be speaking to God and asking for the spirit to fill you and, and to renew your mind. Like that's a thing that's re it's not like a throwaway comment that Paul's like, oh yeah, and we, you know, don't fight against flesh and blood, blah, 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 blah. Like that's huge. So pray and ask the Lord. I mean, one of my children has, has struggled mightily with some really tough dreams and um, we just, we, prayer prayer. And, 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 and sometimes the natural part, is, your dreams come sometimes from, you know, supernatural influence. They also so come sometimes because uh, what you put in your, ma your mind all day is horrible. Like if you're binge watching some, you know, demonic television show, like... Uh, I'm much more likely to dream about killing people when I watch The Punisher just before bed. Yes, that would be a great example of a demonic show that no one should watch. Um... <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Sir. Yes. Um, so if you fill your brain with garbage, don't be surprised that it is garbagey when you're not around. Um, and part of with relationship to the question, especially right before bed. Yeah. One of the things I like to do is read Christian biography right before bed. When you're not watching The Punisher? I don't watch The Punisher right before bed. No, I see. I see. I don't, I, I see. I'm not crazy. I don't have a TV um, in my bedroom. Yeah. But yeah, like I, so like sometimes like if you read something yeah. that is just going to get you in a better frame yeah. before bed, it really helps what yeah. your mind does when you're asleep. Yeah. And I mean, the horrible thing uh, about like Netflix and Amazon Prime right now is that it's not well regulated by um, the FCC and, and by, you know, norms of like ratings. And so especially when you can go online and you binge watch, you know, something like Game of Thrones, for God's sake, mm -hmm. stop watching that stuff. Um, you I'm, need you a don't, angel for that one. Yeah, yeah. You, you, like, don't be surprised if your unconscious mind produces garbage when your conscious mind is consuming it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, human desires can be inflamed, mm -hmm. right? And one of, the, like, one of the reasons why when you tell people, like, not masturbating or not having sex is, like, completely doable, and they're like, what? That's impossible. Well, it, that's partly because, like, we're, all of us in our culture have gone through this long process of inflaming our sexualities. So it's like, it's like telling somebody that they're, you know, like, 
you can run three miles when like their back is in this case of like incredible inflammation in their hips and they have, they're in so much pain they can barely stand it and the pain keeps building on the pain keeps building on the pain they're like I can't walk 20 steps right but like if you can like get that all inflammation down then they're like wait I feel fine I can yeah. and if you can if you can counteract that sexualized inflammation you'd be surprised actually how not hard sexual purity is. And for some of us, we have, we have never experienced ourselves post-pubescent, not inflamed sexually. We've never even experienced that. So we actually have no idea how in control our sexuality can be. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Yes, because I was listening. Right. <laughs> All right. Um, I love this man a whole lot. I just what want does, you to know we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> what does the Bible—does uh, the Bible address transgender issues? The, po- the popular view is that a person doesn't feel their gender if they're born, that they're born with. What does the Bible say? Um, so transgenderism is such a new phenomenon uh, on the scene. Of, I mean, even, even like, so non-Christian psychotherapy is like in a whole state about what it even is and what to do about it. Okay, so there's huge disagreement, not even in the, just within the Christian community. The politics community. is just, way ahead of the science. Yeah, yeah. Politics are all like, way yep, it's great. Just do whatever you want. Transition kids, give puberty blockers to five-year-olds, whatever, everything's fine. And the whole professional medical community is like, whoa. So let's just say that as a, as a, at the outset. What does the Bible say about transgender issues? The Bible speaks in the beginning that, that gender is an embodied reality and that that is a good thing. So like that's the baseline that gender and sexuality. So what you're taught in schools now is that uh, sex is between your legs and gender is between your ears. And uh, gender is a spectrum and you can identify, you know, in parts of it. Or the gender is not really a thing and it's a social construct. It, those things can't all be true at the same time. Um, logic is a booger like that. But the Bible says that gender is a good thing connected to your biological expression as, a, as an embodied creature. And that, that in God's original design, those things would never be disjointed. Now, it does appear that there are, uh, are a group of people that experience uh, what the literature calls gender dysphoria. And gender dysphoria is the strong internal sense that your body and your sense of yourself as an engendered person are out of sync. And that produces an enormous amount of pain and emotional difficulty and, and just existential crisis. And listen, if that's you and that's been your reality, we love you. Like there's grace for you. We want to talk to you about that. You're, you're welcome in this place. You're not, please don't leave here going, I'm, this is not the place for me. Absolutely, this is the place for you. Because the reality is that something about um, the entire cosmos has been put out of sync because of sinfulness. Not because of anything you've done, but because of just the, the nature of the curse and sin in the universe. There are things now that don't work the way they should, and it, it doesn't seem fair, but it's real. And so the Bible acknowledges that that's the category in which um, transgendered feelings or gender dysphoria exists in, which means that there is hope for the transgendered community in Christ. Yeah. Now, how that works out, um, I, I personally don't have a ton of experience applying, yeah. uh, except in case-by-case bases, bases. Um, yeah. but, but I, I think we must say that what the culture is kind of just saying, you know, just express and live out whatever you want to, mm-hmm. Boy, that's way ahead of the science. That's way ahead of the psychological community. Not, not even just the Bible. Especially like just, with kids, wouldn't you say? Oh, man. Oh, man. Like, it's one thing for a 22-year-old to say, I want this done to my body. Yes. That's still even a little young, but it, it's, it's... abusive. No, I will like, go on record as saying it's with abusive like to do this for children. Yes. Okay, so one of the things you'll know at this conference, 
I don't know if we're going to have another sexuality conference at another time, whatever. One of the reasons why, why I haven't, there, you won't see a lot of stuff in the, in the breakouts and stuff is because I've probably only read 12 to 1,500 pages on gender dysphoria so far. Yeah. And I, I just don't feel like it's There's enough yet. There's not even yet. that much out there. I, and it's, people are saying so many completely different things. And I completely distrust the public narrative on this because it's so politically driven. It is so <laughs> like, we're going to get to this conclusion. So what do we have to say? Right? And the doctor in the second row is like, yep. Um, so like, it's really bad things are happening. We should not be doing these things to children. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Like, I don't think there's any question about that. It's, it's kind of like if you're going to blow up a house, you sweep it 50 times to make sure there's nobody in it before you blow it up. Like before you physically take apart the body of a child, like you better be like dang freaking sure. Now listen, I, I understand, and I'm not saying that we should demonize people who push in that direction because the attempted suicide morbidity rate for gender dysphoric people is at like 44%, okay? The national average is like three and a half percent. And so— yeah. This wow. is a huge deal, but kids that, that um, self-identify as gender dysphoric, in the, in the four studies that have been done on this, between 65 and 90 percent of them gender norm by the age of 22. Most of those kids will gender norm same-sex attracted, but the suicide attempt morbidity rate among same-sex attracted adults is like 9 percent rather than 44%. And what allows those kids to gender norm, even if they gender norm gay, is the hormones of puberty that come out when they don't take gender blockers. Because it is the estrogen coming into your system that makes the young girl more okay with being a girl. And it is the testosterone rushing into the young man's system that psychologically affects their ability to be more okay with being a man. But if you put kids on gender blockers, almost 0% of them norm to their birth gender as they become adults. And so that, I think there's a huge ethical problem there. Yes. And even if you go through transition, the attempted suicide morbidity rate for people who've gone through transition is still 44%. It has no positive effect. So other than that, I don't feel like I should say anything. <laughs> All right, sorry. I, I might have gone off on a little bit there. It's hard to drop a face mic. Okay. Um, it is. Yeah. How do you? Okay. It's how, very undramatic. This is the next one. Okay. Boop, highlight. How do you glorify God in the proper sexual context when one of both or the parties have deep-rooted shame of past sexual sin? How do you glorify God in the proper? Okay. Well, the proper sexual context here is marriage, but let's say. Um, Okay, so the CDC says that one out of every three women in America has at some point been the victim of sexual abuse. That is horrifying and should on its face tell us that we have a massive problem as a nation understanding sexual ethics. But that means that in a room this big, about a hundred or so ladies have at some point been the victim of sexual abuse, which means it's psychologically comprehensible for you to feel deep shame even in the healthiest of sexual relationships. And so the first thing to say is if you've been the victim of sexual violence and abuse, again, you're welcome here. We love you. Please don't live in shame and quiet and not talk about and not process that because one of the first tactics of God's enemy is to say you're different, you're terrible, no one will understand you and if you let the shame out of the bag, everyone will reject you and that is a lie. So, if you are um, 
feeling ashamed, please press into the people of God, press into Christian community, press into great Christian therapy. Don't push away from it out of fear and shame, okay? If you're married and you're feeling like your spouse is dealing with this, then there's a loving way to say, you know, honey, I'd love to I'd love for us to come into the orbit of a great Christian counselor that maybe we could get some help because I believe that there's freedom in Jesus for you. Like, that's part of what it means to be married and to bear one another's burdens. And so those, those two things are probably what I would say initially. Okay. I, I just wanted to put up there for a minute. Don't you think it'd be awesome if Harry Potter had a lightsaber? Wow, 39 people thought it, that was, yeah. It's awesome. Yes, I, I suppose so. Okay, how, can you expand on how celibacy and singleness displays the story of God? There's going to be a way faithful, celibate people experience the revelation of the glory of God without metaphor that will cause their enjoyment of the revelation of the glory of God to be different than what I will get to experience with the metaphor. Marriage is a metaphor. Now, I'm bummed out a little bit by the words of Jesus when he says that in the kingdom they'll be neither married nor given into marriage. But uh -oh. I th think that's probably because a greater reality will have arrived that will make marriage as obsolete as, you know, Windows 95 or something. Um, I still use that. Just... Yeah. Okay. So... Are you still answering that? Yeah, question? I was. Um, <clears throat> so if you're, if you're celibate and you're living your life faithfully waiting for the consummation of history, then you're going to get to experience the glory of God in a way different than I do. And that's God's gift to you. And the scriptures, if they say anything, is not to look over at someone else's spiritual gifts and desire them to the exclusion of the practice of your own. The world needs to see faithful singleness lived out in fully beautified humanity without the, you know, the ugliness of our current cultural story. And the spirit of God is powerful and working in you such that you can do that. Okay, uh, can I add like a tiny little thing to that? Um, what would you do if I said no? no of course, <laughs> you'd probably do it anyway. Go ahead. Come on. Um, so, think, okay, if you're a Christian, just think about your life. Isn't like half the Christian life waiting for consummation? Because isn't that like half of what we're all doing is like we're waiting for consummation as faithfully as we can, not giving ourselves to the false lover of false idols. That is what the single Christian embodies every minute of every day. That there are many other lovers that would have me or that I could run after. There are many other, but I will wait for the consummation that I will have with my one and true lover. And I will show all of humanity what true humanity is meant to look like. Mm -hmm. And I think that there, there's, and also I think that because sexuality is bound to marriage in the gospel, sexuality is bound to many responsibilities that the single person does not have. And the single person has under their capacity the pursuit of many pursuits that the married person just does not have. I mean, I agree. I can't even go to the grocery store without like three days of planning. Yeah. Yeah. All There's right. Tomorrow night, though, we're going to talk about that for two hours. Yes. Okay, we have time for like one more question. Um, oh, this, let's do the why are we so sexist one. 
Um, in Christian culture, why is sexual morality more stressed for women than for men? I do not experience this as reality, so I do not know. I yell at my men a lot more than the ladies, so yeah, I try to do that. I'm too. not sure. I, I do think that is the experience a lot of women have. Why is sexual morality? So here, how about this? She could, put, if she put the word modesty or whoever put the word modesty in there, then wouldn't she say that's that that's most experienced people? Like that I I women understand get about that more. I, I understand that this has been the reported experience of, of women. Yeah. I, I've never been a part of a church or a group of people that have done this, so I couldn't offer a suggestion as to why, except that people can often be wrong um, and say dumb things. And so I'm sorry. Not the questioner, but the No, no, pastors. no, not the questioner, but someone who says, you know, ladies, it's your responsibility to dress in such a way so that you don't cause your brothers to stumble. Is, if that's the only thing that's being said, um, we might also say, brothers, uh, it's your responsibility to treat women like sisters until they are your wife and not to lead them along and, you know, to grow up and get a job and act like a man and be the kind of person who's actually suitable to be married and not just fling around with girls' hearts. And so there. Mm -hmm. um, or in the words of Paul, treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Absolute purity. Or in the words of First Thessalonians, everybody should flee sexual immorality and learn to control their own thing. That is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, is that, it's usually, I haven't, I haven't actually word, looked at the Greek, Greek for that. Greek is thing, but it's usually translated body in First, in first Thessalonians That's definitely form. not the word for body. Those it's are two totally different word words. Wow. Yeah. Greek exegesis with Pastor yeah. Nick, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Note, I would watch that CEO. YouTube channel. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.